0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Bethesda Church of God in Sumter, South Carolina. We hope you enjoy this inspiring message. For more information, check out our website at bethesdacog.org. Would you welcome Bishop Bruce Rabin. Well, thank you. Good to be in the Lord's house, amen. Amen. Did you enjoy that singing? I did too, praise God. I give honor to the angel candlestick of this house, Pastor Sims and First Lady Sims. I acknowledge all ministers in the house and I proclaim blessings upon Bethesda. Have a right to do that. I give respect to the military, the veterans. Amen. Amen. My father was an army man. He laid down the stripes, and I saw the stars. (laughs) Yeah. It's a time joke, some of you are getting that, but it's no joke. (laughs) Some of you, it went over your head like that. That's good too. Every time this choir and your director participates in anything on a state level, they raise the roof and bring down the house. Twenty and a half years. This church is not the same church you inherited. About 140, 150 people. Good church. There's no such thing as a bad church, but there is such thing as a real good church. And this looks like a real good church to me. For some churches I'd rather be in than others, but we won't go there. I want to, I want to acknowledge to recognize her. She, she's the one that keeps me straight. She has her own ministry. She worked with an evangelist. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not. He he was known in some parts of the country. He's now deceased, um, Dr. Uh, Billy Graham. And uh, when, when he was doing the crusade in Charlotte with the adults, his association called her and asked her to do the crusade with the kids. So she's worked with him. And then she worked at... Well, she ministered over with the kids and uh, a little bit at, uh, any of you remember PTL? Yes. Pass the loot, I mean, praise the Lord. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, she's been there and uh, for those of you that are on, uh, go to YouTube, uh, you may recall before VeggieTales, you had Salty, the Songbook. Any of those videos, the odds are, the characters in those uh, videos, are her team that she developed when we pastored Highest Praise Family Worship Center. And he called and asked if she, if she would bring her team over and help him with the video. And So even though she's now with me in administration, her kids ministry still goes on through those characters. So that's Wanda. She's the one that is saved between the two of us. And she's, she's the one that keeps me saved. Would you stand for the reading of the word? Our thought for today is next. N-E-X-T. We'll read from uh, 1 Samuel 16 verses 1 through 12. i submit to you that God is a God of next. See, God is not finished with what he wants to do with you and me. There's that next thing that he wants to do in our life. There's, There's that next thing that he wants to do with this church. See, there's that next revival that's going to take place. We just don't know whether it's going to be global or continental or a national revival or a local revival, but God's going to always have revival somewhere. If there are people that hunger and thirst after righteousness and seek God's face, revival takes place so there's that next revival there's that next miracle that's going to take place and i don't know i'm i'm sure there's some here today you you may have never needed a miracle but i'm telling you you're going to feel real good when you need a miracle and you know you serve a god that works miracles so there's that next miracle that's going to take place in fact As I stand before you today, today, on numerous occasions, already today, I have prayed for two of my friends that are battling cancer. And the doctors are saying, if something doesn't happen soon, we will have done all that we can do. And I'm thinking, but there's God. There's always that next miracle. He has not opened his last blind eye. He's not healed his last cripple. he has not healed the last cancer patient, he has not cured the last heart attack, he's the God of next. And I'm sure with a congregation this size, there's some prodigal sons and daughters out there, and I've got good news for you, God is a God of next, and your son, your daughter will probably be the next one that comes home. And some of you have family members that are battling drug addiction. It's an epidemic in our society today. But I submit to you that God is the next and there's a next person that is going to be set free from the drug addiction. Some of you have lost loved ones, you want to accept Jesus Christ. Why not they, why why are they not the next ones to accept Jesus Christ? God is a God of next and I wanna talk with you today about next. And the Lord said unto Saul, How long will thou mourn for, or said unto Samuel, How long will thou uh, mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with all and go. I'll send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Taken heifer, it's talking about a cow, with the It is, it is. That's what it means. Look at your the sorceress, And say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice unto the Lord sanctify yourselves, come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and he called them to the sacrifice. It came to pass when they were come that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on the countenance or on the height of, of his stature because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth; for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh at the heart. Yes. Got an amen there? Amen. We may be fighting chicken, but uh, after this meeting, but uh, right now we got an amen. Yes. He said, "Neither hath the Lord chosen this." Next verse. Jesse made Shamma to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here any, or here all thy children? I want you to stop right there and realize that question changed everything. That question right there. And he said there remaineth yet the younger and behold he keepeth the sheep and Samuel said unto Jesse send and fetch him for we'll not sit down till he come hither. Father in heaven the name of Jesus Christ I ask for your anointing and your focus. May your word go forth as an arrow shot from its bow. May it be wrapped in love and may it hit its mark. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And amen. As you're being seated, look at your neighbor and tell them you look good. And you look at that one that just told you that and you respond by saying, I know. Let me lay the foundation for you here. We'd really go back to chapter 15 to look, lay a little bit of the foundation. I'll, I'll skim over it, not go in depth here, but you've got a king. His name is Saul. He's territorial. He refuses to be obedient to, to uh, God. Uh, he, he had a problem with obedience. And... Uh, He's given some instructions. Now, when you study his life, he did some great things. He organized the government in Israel. he's their first king. He organized the army. He won some battles for them, major battles. So there's a lot of good things that he accomplished, but when it got down to the nitty-gritty, he just could not obey God. He was a little carnal. And so he's given instructions. He has, he's supposed to go and eliminate the Amalekites. God says everything. Uh, humans, beasts, you name it, everything. And so Saul goes out, he defeats the Amalekites, but you know how it is with carnal people, they like their trophies. It's the reason why men go through midlife crisis, they're carnal and they like their trophies. He spares Agag the king, and the best, the sheep, and the oxen. And the prophet Samuel comes out to meet him, and have you, he's asking the question, have you done everything that God told you to do? Yes, I have. Then why is that I hear the bleeding of the sheep and the loin of the oxen? Oh, but the people, sounds like Adam, doesn't it? That woman. The people wanted to save these. No, he wanted to save them as his trophy. And Samuel looks at him and he lets him know in this chapter the Spirit of the Lord is departing from him and God has taken the kingdom away from him and he's going to give it to his neighbor. Anybody but the neighbor. I mean, let's face it, neighbors, the Joneses on one side, Smiths on the other side, they get a new car, we want a bigger car. Give it to anybody but the neighbor. And so, Saul has now got to go before the people. And he looks at the prophet and he says, will you walk with me? And the prophet looks at him and he refuses to walk beside him because it would be an indication to the people that he approved that all that King Saul had done. So Samuel the prophet says, I'll not walk with you, but for the sake of the people, I'll walk behind you. For the sake of the people means a lot. For the sake of the people, you'll you'll cut a vacation short and come back to your church. Not all pastors, but good pastors will. (laughs) I'm getting in trouble. Is this being videoed? Yes? Father, have mercy on me. (laughs) And Samuel the prophet leaves King Saul for the last time. And we pick it up now, the story, in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel, and I'm using the scripture again as my outline. And the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul? What he's asking him is, why are you in a state of depression? You've had a bad day when your prophet is in a state of depression. It's amazing what prophets look like. I moved to a church that had 13 pastors in 12 years before we got there. Had to be one good pastor in that crowd. Just had to be a dog. All 13 of them couldn't be bad, so we'll let you decide where the problem was at. And so I'm the type of guy, I want everybody attending my church. From the uttermost to the guttermost, I want them there. And so I see the city truck coming to pick up my garbage, and I run outside and I invite the guy that's picking up my garbage to church, and he looks at me and he prophesies over me, and he says, You won't be here long. You've had a bad day when your prophet is the garbage man. (laughs) And I said, why, why would you say that? He he said, they've had the garbage man you. They've had 13 pastors in the last 12 years. You won't be here long. I said, but I'm not like other pastors. And he said, that's what the other 13 said. (laughs) It was a beautiful day three years later when Willie Brown walked down the aisle, the garbage man, and he gave his heart to the Lord. One for the good guys. Now Willie and Ruth Brown, not only did they pay tithes off of what they made, and you know it's a limited income to some degree, but every, every month they gave $250 a month extra to Wanda's Children's Church Ministry. Not only that, guess who the children's church is at that church, we've been gone 15 years, it's their daughter that Wanda led to the Lord. See, God's in the next business. God's saving people that we don't even think he can save. God is saving people that we don't even think he wants because God is a God of next and he does what he wants to, when he wants to and how he wants to and he doesn't wait around for our approval and so we have here the prophet he's mourning he's in a state of depression and God lets him know that business is about to pick up because he says, I want you to get the horn off the wall and I want you to fill it with oil. Now being a Pentecostal prophet, Samuel, he had to be be Pentecostal, he prophesied and did miracles. About the time that God said get the the horn, fill it with oil, let's go, the prophet probably felt a whiff of the gift. Business is about to pick up. We're about to do something for God. And and so he gets ready and he said, now what I'm going to do, here's the deal with us, we want God to do something, we just want God to do what we want or how we want it. He said, I'm going to send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, he said, because I've provided me a king. Now, that sounds good to start with. You think about it. God's about to do something wonderful. I've got the oil. I'm going to anoint the, the, the new king. And then all of a sudden, he becomes a little carnal because he realizes that there is a king that's sitting on the throne that is carnal. He's a little territorial. And I can see him negotiating with God. You know, you know, Lord, when you first said that, it sounded real good. But, but, but the more I think about this and the possibility that I could get my head cut, chopped off, you, you know, I, I don't know if this is what we want to do or not. <laughs> But God lets him know, we're, I'm going to pick me a king. What he is telling him, we did it your way the last time. We did it the people's way the last time. This time, you're gonna see what a real king looks like because I'm going to choose me a king. Well, how are we gonna do this? What I want you to do is I want you to take a heifer with you down to Bethlehem. Talking about that cow. What that cow was for was for sacrificing. It was a part of worship. See, you've not really worshipped until you have sacrificed. You may have praised but there's a little difference in praise and worship because worship doesn't take place until they're sacrificed. That's the reason why most of the time in church, the biggest time of worship is when the offering is taken up because you're sacrificing. So he says, I want you to take this, this cow and I'm going to pick me a king, and Samuel said, how can I go? If, if Saul hear it, he will kill me. That makes sense to me. You know, sort of like the, heard about the guys in the military, this is military day, and, and this old guy, he was the rookie, and they were looking for a volunteer, and he didn't know how to respond, so everybody picked their foot up, and he picked his up, and he stepped forward, and all the rest of them stepped back. You don't want to be the guy standing out in front of the line. He said to take, take the heifer with you. I'm, some of you like that word too much. I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now here's what he's telling him. Here's what God is telling the prophet and what God wants you to hear. He's taking that cow down there to offer it, to sacrifice it, to worship with it. And it's going to blind the king from what he's doing. And I'm here to tell you that your worship will blind your enemy. That's the reason why it's important for you to worship God. Not because it makes you feel good many times, but because it blinds your enemy. Now who who is your enemy? Well, sometimes it's the devil's crowd. Sometimes it's the other crowd. My enemy stands about five foot eight, olive complexion, mustache and a little fluffy. I said a little fluffy, (laughs) but extremely handsome. (laughs) Sorry, frog won't croak for his own pond. I can say that because I'm a country boy. I was born in Latta, South Carolina, into PDs. Another one for the good guys. (laughs) Your worship will blind your enemy. I have a son We have two sons. Wouldn't take a million dollars for either one of them. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for another one, though. They're a lot like their mother's family. There's a difference in her family and my family. Her family graduated from Penn State. Mine graduated from the state, Penn. There's a little difference. More truth of that than you would know or believe. (laughs) Yeah, now you know why I'm so kind to the uttermost and the guttermost, you know. (laughs) He did a little bit of singing. He definitely got that from his mother, I don't don't sing. In fact, it was a battle when he decided to give up playing football, baseball, and basketball. Two-way starter on football and told me, I'm going to sing, Dad. And I looked at him and said, God can use a ball player, but I don't think he can use a singer, boy. <laughs> you know the reason why I said that? I'm reliving my life through him. I'm Too transparent sometimes. So he sings. And there was a conference in the Northeast and he scheduled to sing and I've got a buddy that went to East Coast Bible College and, and, and is a pastor and he really didn't like my son. He wouldn't tell me that because I was his overseer. Uh, but, uh, uh, but he really didn't like my son because my son can be a little bit of a showboat when he sings. And he thought he was really carnal and he was just out there to impress the people and get them get them excited or something or emotional but I remember the day that he came to me and he apologized because during a conference this guy had to go through the uh, back green room and all that for some reason and everybody else was out in the tabernacle and he was walking back there he heard my son in a room all by himself nobody around him crying out to God and saying father when I step out there Will you anoint me? Will you anoint me? There's somebody out there hurting, Father. Will you help me reach them? There's somebody out there, Father, they may never listen to the word, but maybe one song, maybe one line of the song will touch them and change their life. Will you anoint me, O God, I pray and ask. And that man heard my son back there praying and he walked out to me and he said, I apologize to you and I apologize to your son. I thought it was all show, but I see that he's serious. He means business. My son could not have told him that, but what happened is my son's prayer blinded his enemy. Now, he was a little cocky is he you was know, inside of this family. When he goes out to trial at Carnegie Hall competing with 2,000 others, he looks at the bus driver and says, what are you gonna be doing Thursday night? And the bus driver says, I have no busy schedule. He said, well, that, that's good, good. He said, I'm in a competition. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna give you some, con, uh, some tickets for Thursday night to come and hear me sing. <laughs> he gave that driver those tickets and that driver came and heard him sing. So maybe that's why that guy thought he was a little cocky. I don't know could have been but your worship is more important than we sometimes realize it is because the worship is not about just making us feel good but it, 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 it helps us to see what God wants us to see It's in times of worship that God speaks to us and we see things that amazes us. We we don't need we don't understand we know so little about God, but it seems like in real worship, when the curtain is pulled back, all of a sudden God gives us a glimpse of how great he is and how wonderful he is. Your worship blinds your enemy. So he goes down to Bethlehem, and the men of the city say, comest thou peaceably? They want to make sure that everything is cool between them and the prophet. You know, treat the pastor any way you want to, but the prophet, he may bring thunder down, lightning, rain, hail. Everything good, everything good between a... I come here peaceably. Now, why would they be concerned about that? Well, all you had to do is look over in the 15th chapter and look at what he did with Agag the king there when he took the sword and chopped him into pieces. And in their mind, they're thinking about that and the prophet has all of a sudden showed up and so they're thinking, oh ho oh, 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 is everything good? Everything okay? Yes, everything's here, I'm coming peaceably. And so then he starts bringing out Jesse's sons. There's Eliab, Eliab. He's the big one. He's the military man. He's the the one that has authority. He looks like a king. He has the experience of a king. Surely this is the one that God wants. But God doesn't see things like that. I'm going to testify for just a minute, okay? Okay. I'll skip part of it. I'll just go to when I'm trying to get my credentials to be a minister. How's that? I fill out that application. It used to be look a little different. They had a question on there. It said, "How do you know you've been called to preach?" I told you I'm from Latta, South Carolina. I'm a P.D. My father had a wholesale distribution business. He dealt primarily in fermented vegetation, and. Uh, Yeah, he was a moonshiner. (laughs) That's the reason why we left Columbia. We stayed there shortly, a short period of time. There's no good place to hide a moonshine still. (laughs) So he bought a little farm in eastern North Carolina that had a creek and a forest that was very conducive to the family business. What can I say? (laughs) So you know my roots now. So there's that question. How do you know you've been called to preach? So I filled it out. How does a dog know it's tied to a tree, can't get away from it? I thought it was a good answer too. You're not gonna believe this, they rejected me. But I will tell you this about the church of God, they'll give you a second chance. So they gave me another application. I couldn't believe it, it had the same question. I hadn't changed my mind any. So I filled it out the same way. How do you know you've been called to preach? How does the dog know it's tied to a tree? Can't get away from it. They rejected me again. But they're good people. They gave me another application. My mind hadn't changed any. I filled it out the same way. They rejected me a third time. The fourth application that I got here's why I love retired ministers, seasoned men. I had one retired minister, he he came up to me and said, Son, let me me help you fill out your application. He said, this question right here, how, how do you know you've been called to preach? Let's, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like this. He answered, he said, all I know is that I have a burning desire in my heart to preach the word and win souls, and no matter how I try to get away from it, I can't get away from it. He said, now what do you think about that? I said, it sounds a lot like a dog that's tied to a tree. He can't get away from it. You're not gonna believe this. They accepted his answer. So what I shared that story with you for is to let you understand that really, your state overseer is a three-time reject. So never be surprised what God decides to use. And never think that you've got to be man's pick. Let's go in this a little bit deeper. Let's go, go. When, when, when I told my pastor, when I told my pastor I felt a calling on my life to preach the gospel, you got to understand the first thing I did for him is when I accepted Jesus Christ as a new convert, they came to me and said, We want you to teach the senior adult men's class in church. There are six men, 80 plus years of age, and we want you to teach them. I said, You got to be, you, you lost your mind. I said, I'm, I'm a new convert. These guys have been living, they've been Christians four times. Longer than I've been living. Why? Give me one reason why I should go in there and teach that class. And he looked at me and he said, because nobody else will accept (laughs) them. Well, you can't argue with that. But I will tell you this, less than a year later, we'd grown from six to 85 in that class. And so I felt like I had a calling in my life and I thought the church loved me because I took a class that nobody else would teach and God had blessed it. So they put me and three other guys on the front row on a Sunday night and said, one of these guys thinks that he's been called to preach the gospel. We're gonna let you guess which one it is. We're gonna let you vote on them and guess who got the most amount of votes? Not me. (laughs) I didn't even get the second amount. I didn't get the third, I got the least. Didn't matter with me, I'm still God's pick. Not that he loved them any the less, he just seems to love me the best. Eliab comes before him, not this one. Wait a minute, he looks like he looks like a king and God lets him know, man looks at the outside, but I, God, look at the heart of a man. Amen. Eliab had everything it took. To, how much longer have I got? Can you give me five more minutes? Who'll give me five minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30? I got another hour here. We good. <laughs> We're good. The heart. God looks at the heart. I just moved from. I just moved from Kentucky a little over a year ago. Right down the road, they had. They have uh, the gravesite of Secretariat. You remember that great uh, uh, horse? Uh, when, they, when, they, when they bury a horse, uh, they, they bury his head and his heart and then the body is cremated and they take it back to the farm where he was born and they spread the ashes over the farm. Uh, secretariat was not the largest horse. And when, when the doctor was dissecting he found something unique about the horse secretariat. His heart was a perfect made heart. But it was two and a third times larger than any other other horse's heart he had ever seen. And so his energy came from within. It came from his heart. And I believe that progress is powered from within. This horse was able to run so fast because he had the right heart to be a champion. And David was right to be the next king because he had the right heart for a king. Let let, let me tell you a few things about him. He was not perfect. He was not without sin. He he did have his enemies. There are a lot of negatives there, but he had the right heart. God said, I look at the heart when I choose mine. So Shammah passes by. Benadad passed by seven sons pass by and God doesn't choose any of them and he asked the question he asked the question Samuel said unto Jesse are here all thy children and Jesse said no there's one more why was David not there I know he's the youngest why is he not there I don't know. Maybe it was Eliab, his oldest brother, that probably wanted that kingship so much, and he probably told his father, "You know, Dad, we probably need we need to send David out to the field to take care of the sheep because you know he's a Pentecostal." Then <laughs> he prophet comes up, he may get emotional. He may start dancing. <laughs> you don't know about David. He could dance with no clothes on. He could dance. It's in his resume, you know. <laughs> Evidently not even his family thought he was qualified. Listen to what I just said. The ones that he ate with, the ones that he slept in the same house with, the ones that he grew up with, the ones that he skipped rocks with, nobody, none of them thought that he had the ability to be the next king. But God doesn't look at you and me like man looks at you and me. Say, go get him. For the note takers, here's your last note, maybe. They can send you to the field. But they can't take you out of his will. They can send you to the field, but they can't disinherit you. Is the one that writes the bill. He's the one that writes the contract. And it's not what they say. It's what he says about you. Go get him. Bring him here. We're not even going to sit down until he gets here. I don't know. This is in... Rabin 316 or the book if I Say So. I don't know who went and got him. I know who I want to believe it was. The older, the elder brother. Well, you wouldn't just send anybody to go get the future king. You want to send somebody that looks like a soldier, thinks like a soldier, has military experience. Does that not seem like the obvious choice? which tells me just because we don't get what we want sometimes doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use us in some way. Let me give you this Bible. I've left them in 17 countries. and I got Bibles all over the land. I put in my Bible, if you find this Bible, mail it to, in 25 years, I've never had one person (laughs) to mail me my Bible back. (laughs) So I try to always remember to tell her, here, take this. Would you stand? So he comes in before the prophet. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope that you were inspired to live a life of purpose for Jesus Christ. For more information, check out our website at BethesdaCOG.org. God bless.